You were never out of the fight. You were created for a time such as this. And you are now preparing to be sent into battle. God is calling you to be his disciple, to be formed in virtue and holiness. He has appointed you as an ambassador of his kingdom. To go and represent him to his people. And he's enlisted you as a soldier of Christ. To be sent out to fight for the good in this world. You were not made to make excuses. time for you to take extreme ownership for your life, for all of your life. It's time to rise up and finally be the man or woman you were created to be. Follow God. Lead others. And never surrender. It is time to begin seeking excellence. Hello, my friends. This is your favorite podcast host, Nathan Crankfield. Welcome to the Seeking Excellence podcast. Wow, what a time to be alive. It is uh, just wonderful to be talking with you this, this wonderful day, whatever day you're listening to this. Um, and this is part three of Modern Day Mediocrity is what I decided to call it. I probably called it something else in the first episode. And, you know, the... Uh, the uh, podcast title is very fluid. You know, I kind of come up with something for a topic and then I actually record it and I'm like, well, that doesn't really fit, you know, but you gotta, you sometimes you just gotta go with what feels right. You know, I don't always recommend that. It's not a great way to live constantly, but from time to time, you gotta go with your gut, you know? And so we made some changes, uh, but Modern Day Mediocre, this is part three, and this is all about spirituals. Today we're talking basically exclusively about the church. And so, uh, in many ways, this will be the most depressing one yet. Um, but before I get to that, before I get into the depression um, and the sadness that is our, our reality right now, uh, I just want to kind of preface it with a few comments. And so, I hope you listened to last year's uh, or last week's podcast episode with my new friend, Bridget. Um, she's found it according to Bridget on Instagram. She's a rock star. Um, but we had a great conversation about preparing for martyrdom. And that's something that I think is really important to kind of frame this with, right? Is what is your, what, what are the expectations for you as a Catholic? You know, if, if you listen to my series on why am I conservative, you know that I talk a good bit about what I felt like were the world's expectations for me as, as a young black man. One of which was to be obviously a lifelong Democrat. And I think we worry oftentimes about other people's expectations of us. You know, I think people pleasing is a huge, you could almost call it an emotional disorder, but it's a, it's a, it's a plague that, that gets a lot of people, especially in today's world, right? Because you have so many touch points with people because of the internet. And so there's so many ways and opportunities to disappoint people. We have constant comparison we want to be liked we want to get likes on instagram and twitter and tiktok and all these things right we want to be liked. we want to be accepted 
And so we have this concern constantly about what other people think about us, meeting other people's expectations, right? And, and just kind of worrying about what people are thinking about us. Now, I think last week's podcast on preparing to die and what I'm trying to tell you now, both kind of leading into switching our priorities, right? And actually putting them in the proper order and worrying first and foremost, what does God think about me? Am I actually adhering to the truth? Am I seeking out the truth in my life and striving to live according to it? Which obviously most people are not, right? We know that's true. And we're going to get into today how for how many people that's true. And I'm going to just kind of break down the statistics. It really is just going to be me reading. I mean, I think I have like 20 stats here that come from a combination of different sources, pewresearch.org and archbalt.org, Archdiocese of Baltimore did some research and surveying people. And I, I don't think that Catholics in Baltimore are much different than Catholics everywhere else in the country. So we're going to go through some of these, but I just want you to kind of think about it from that perspective. Who are you really trying to please? And I think I've been blessed in that uh, I've never really struggled excessively with people pleasing. If anything, I err far on the other side of not caring enough what people think at times. But I do think we have to, as Catholics, have a certain like uh, detachment from what other people think of us. It's, it's not like it's a nice to have, it's a need to have, right? And, and I think the other thing that's important in that is before you get to understanding and embracing your obligation to carry your cross, to carry your cross to, to Golgotha, right? To go to Calvary. I think before you can, before you can really like grasp that, before you can grasp being a martyr, you have to grasp your obligation, your duty to be an evangelist, right? And before you can grasp and comprehend and embrace your duty to be an evangelist, you have to embrace your duty to be a follower, to be a disciple. And so we as Catholics, the whole point of like the whole point of the Catholic Church is that Jesus himself founded it. And that he himself said that the gates of hell would never rise against it. So it's always going to last, right, until his second coming. And we believe that the Catholic Church, the Catholic faith has the fullness of the truth. And the Catholic teachings are true, that they are good, that they work towards our ultimate good. And that if we live by them, we'll have the best chances for salvation. And it provides us the best opportunity for fulfillment, purpose, and joy. Um love and all the other good, great virtues and and life experiences that this side of heaven has to offer. And so it's really mind-blowing to me that I've always been confused by the group of people in the world, which is ever-increasing, who identify as Catholic but choose to not live according to Catholic teaching. I've always found them to be a very, very intriguing group of people. And there is, of course, a number of reasons for that, right? Um, but I just, I'm just so interested as to why you would want to do it. It's the same, it's the same as the people who claim to hate America, but choose to live here. Like you can, like you can leave. That's, that's one of the great parts about it is you can just bounce. If you think Canada is that much better, or if you think Switzerland or, you know, these other countries or Europe is so much better then why don't you go there? But even easier then packing up and leaving your whole family, leaving your history, leaving your job here in the U.S. is just like not affiliating yourself with the church. 
So I really always struggle to comprehend the people who are driven to try to get women ordained or change this, the church's stance on abortion or changes church's stance on whether it be traditional marriage versus same-sex marriage or gender theory or any of these things. It's like, why not? Or divorce. Why not just bounce? You don't have to stay, you know? And obviously we want you to, we want you to conform to the truth, but we, I don't want you to try to conform the truth to you. And you don't have to do that. There's so many other denominations and things out there that claim, you know, to, to believe what you believe. So why not just go join them? It's difficult. I, I get it more with Americans because like, it's difficult to move to Switzerland, right? To move to Norway, where you think they're living this socialist dream, which isn't true. But it's not that hard to just like switch to the, the Methodist church down the road that has the lesbian pastor. It's not that hard to switch to the evangelical church, non-denominational church that doesn't care if you get divorced or not. Like, it's, I don't understand. Why not just go to a different church? But there is this societal inclination to just rail against the truth. And when the Catholic church embodies and, and, and contains and defends the truth, wholeheartedly and always has people want to bring that down there's no i don't think there's any well i know there's not any organization right in the world that you could do more damage satan knows this that you could do more damage against the world if you brought it down than the catholic church sad part for satan his his jesus already told us it's never going to happen but he's still going to try to inflict as much damage as he can which is how he gets people to do a bunch of the silly stuff that we're going to talk about today. So some of these stats, I told you, they come from Archdiocese of Baltimore um, and PewResearch.org. I was going to say shout out to Archbishop Lori, but I feel like he said some stupid stuff recently. Oh, they have like a, is it a vaccine or mask mandate in all parishes in Baltimore? I'm recording this a long time before it's going to come out. So some of the news might be messed up. So I don't even want to shout out any, any clergy because they might, fool around, do something stupid between recording time and posting time. You know what I mean? So I'm going to be careful with that. But Archbishop Lord, I did like him when I was in college. My thing, I'll, I'll tell you this before we get into this. This is one of my struggles. I have a lot of struggles with clergy. The higher up you get, the more I struggle with you, right? So I've expressed some of my frustrations with the Pope in the past um, and, and whatnot. But the, the other thing, just not just the Pope, but the cardinals and all these other, and the archbishops and the bishops, it's like, first of all, you know how many of them were really closely tied to Ted McCarrick, former Cardinal Ted McCarrick, who has had a lifetime of abusing other people, especially boys and seminarians. So, you know, your Supich, um, yeah, Cardinal Supich in Chicago, very closely tied with him. I think it's Tobin in, uh, in Newark. Um, not really a great dude, really closely tied with uh, with McCarrick. And, you know, I, I think about that. It's obviously really difficult. There's a lot of bishops. I think Wilton Gregory, and uh, I think he's, is he Cardinal now? He's Archbishop in, uh, in Washington, D.C., closely tied with um, very, like, uh, BLM, very soft on uh, certain church teachings that are less popular. Um, But... I, I've always struggled. I always struggle even with bishops. Like I'm like, if I don't, 
like somewhat regularly see you like speaking out against the evils that are happening in the world today, like I don't like you as a bishop. Doesn't mean I won't listen to you. Doesn't mean I won't obey you. Doesn't mean I won't respect your position that you hold. But I'm like, if I don't see you come out and say something strong against abortion, against BLM, against the people who are attacking, destroying our churches, um, speaking for traditional marriage, like some of these difficult things, I don't have a ton of respect for you as a bishop. Like that's like your whole goal. That's like your whole role. I mean, that's your whole job, dude, is to share the truth even when it's difficult. And, you know, there's that there's that classic saying that the road to hell is paved with the skulls of priests and bishops or bishops and cardinals, however it goes. And you just have to wonder how true that is, man, because you have just such a greater responsibility at that level to share the truth and to, to spread the gospel and to speak up for what's right. And you just kind of have to think about how much terrible shit they've seen and haven't spoken up about, right? The corruption, whether it be sex abuse scandals or the financial corruption within the Vatican, within the church in general, they've seen some crazy stuff. And and sure, there's some boards for sure. There's some um, people who are really fighting hard and fighting for the good, but there's many who aren't. And those who are lukewarm or don't really say anything about this stuff, like you hear about the same like five bishops, you know, uh, Archbishop Nauman in KC, Cordelion in, um, in uh, San Francisco. I forget my man's name down in Texas. I think it's a diocese of Tyler. Oh, Strickland, Bishop Strickland. Um, you hear about, yeah, there's just a number of them, you know, uh, that you hear about all the time. And then there's some that you just never hear their names. And it's like, you must be doing literally nothing, which to me means you suck at being a bishop. In a time where we really need good ones. Um, Archbishop Chaput, shout out to him. He's a legend. Um, but anyways, let's move on. Let's talk about the status of the Catholic Church. That was actually kind of a decent segue because a lot of these stats are because of weak bishops who have allowed weak catechesis for decades. And now our church is in mother love and shambles in many ways. So this, I hope, is going to be a call out and a motivator for you to hear that call that St. Francis heard from the Lord. During his time on earth, his meaning, St. Francis' time on earth, where he told him to rebuild the church. And St. Francis started to rebuild the church physically, which many of us could look and do too, right? We have church buildings that are falling apart. They need a lot of work. We have all these, you know, and as of now, there's been 114 incidents of violence, of um, graffiti and, um, you know, some type of uh, destruction to Catholic churches in the last 18 or so months. So we could also take it in a physical or a literal uh, mindset as well and say, yeah, we need to rebuild the church. But not all. What we need to rebuild is these stats. Get these stats right. So peep this. 22% of Catholic parents and 24% of all Catholic adults attend mass on a weekly basis. Let me run that by you one more time, though. Dog, 22% of Catholic parents. This is the shit that gets me with Catholic parents. I told you already, I don't understand why people claim to do something and then don't do it. Obviously, we're sinners. You're always going to be a sinner. This is why we have the sacrament of confession. This is why we don't just have to have once. Confession doesn't just happen once and then you're done. You get to go. You could go every day. You might even be able to go multiple times a day, depending on your setup. I don't recommend it. I recommend a good every other week, max once a month. But 
And so nobody's going to be perfect. And I understand that. I'm not, I'm, I'm for damn sure not perfect. I go to confession every other week because I need it. And I've sinned a ton and I've done some terrible things in my life. And I'm not denying that. What I don't understand though, is why you would get married in the church, get your children baptized and then not go to mass. Like make no effort, 22% make no effort to go to mass. Here's, this is the thing. This is the thing that I could do a whole episode on this. Emily and I talk about this a lot is if you've been to a Catholic wedding ever or recently, you probably know that in the vows, you vow to be open to life and you vow to raising your children that you do have within the church and forming them as Catholics. This is one of the struggles that I have with people who marry people outside of the church, with Catholics who marry people outside of the church, because how can you, how can you vow to do that as a non-Catholic? You're either going to be teaching them things you don't believe, so you're essentially lying to them, or you're not going to do it, and you're lying in the church that day. So what's the point? What's the point? This, that's the thing. Like, I, I get it. Like, I, I'm, I'm all for, like, people can convert later. You always hear these beautiful stories of, like, they were married for 40 years, and finally the husband or wife converted to Catholicism. And obviously, it's a whole different story if you converted and your spouse hasn't after you got married. But, dog, when people marry people outside the church, it's like, how are you going to? You, you literally vow that day, I'm going to raise my kids within the church. That doesn't just mean get them baptized. That literally means you're going to form them in the Catholic faith. You're going to teach them the faith. Te- parents are primary teachers of children. For decades and for generations, we've outsourced that to the government, which is the dumbest shit in the world because our government is horrible. There's a bunch of evil actors and Marxists <laughs> teaching your kids. But, but still we do that. But you have to understand that your primary responsibility as a husband and wife after like to each other is to your kids and to form them to be good human beings. And when you vow to do that in the church, that means you're going to teach them to be pro-life, to pray, to go to mass regularly, to go to confession regularly, to respect the sacraments, to respect and have reverence towards the mass and, and respect for priests, right? Like it means you're going to teach them to be well-formed Catholics. If you're not a Catholic, if you're not a well-formed Catholic, how are you going to do that? If you're not even a Catholic, how are you going to teach them to believe in the true presence of the Eucharist when you don't go to receive communion because you don't want to convert and go through RCIA? And I'm not saying that you might not have legitimate reasons why you don't want to convert. I'm not saying it's just laziness and not want to go through RCIA, but how, how are you going to do it? How does that make any sense? Daddy, you never go to confession, but you're telling me I need to go to confession because it's important. Then why don't you go? And then not only do you say that on your wedding day, but then these people have the audacity to get their kids baptized, which is always like such a, such a, an interesting dichotomy, right? Cause you're like, it's great for the kids, but I think it's bad for the parents. It's in some ways a selfless act, right? Because you're getting your child baptized, which is great. Opens them up to grace, removes original sin, brings them into the adoption of being a son or daughter of God. But then if you're the parent, you once again, are stating that you're going to raise your kids within the faith. And so I just never understand why do that twice. And then 80% of the people who do that don't go to mass on a weekly basis. And 
let me remind you that weekly is the minimum. So like, to me, like an average Catholic is one that just goes to mass and, and not even average, like mediocre and apathetic. Like you're pretty like bad at this whole Catholic thing. If you just go to mass once a week and that's your only spiritual practice, like that's horrible. That's hard. That's like the, you're like the worst player on the team, but at least you're on the team. I'll give you that. At least you're staying somewhat engaged. And I always say that, that that's like the minimum, right? Because at least if you're going once a week and you're looking at God and you're going through the words, you're going through the motions and you're saying the words, you're kneeling and you're, you know, whatever, at least God can speak to you that way. He can still reach you. He can reach you anywhere for sure, but at least he's staying in front of you once a week. So I always say there's a limit to how lost you can get during that. If, if you continue to go to mass each week, that's why it's my absolute mandatory thing. But dude, if you don't even do that, what are you doing? What are you doing? It doesn't make any sense, man. It don't make no sense, man. And then you got outside of that, 24% of Catholic adults go to Mass Weekly. 53% of Catholic parents attend Mass at least once a month. Which that number actually swabs and is lower for regular Catholic adults at 43%. Only 30, I don't know what these, all these stats are about parents, which is pretty interesting. Only 36% of parents pray daily. The remaining 64% pray somewhere between weekly and never. Dude, 36% pray daily. What percentage of that 36% do you think is like, now I lay me down to sleep or bless us, O Lord, before meals? Half, at least? That'd be my guess. 21% of Catholics say they read scripture weekly which is less likely than the population as a whole. Oh, my Lanta. Do you hear yourself, man? 21% of Catholics say they read scripture once a week, at least once a week. If you, if you poll the entire country, it's 35%. We're 14 percentage points lower than the general population in reading scripture. And I know that one's going to get some people. I know somebody, I know somebody just, just felt that. Somebody out there just said, damn, I'm in the 79%. Dog, open your Bibles. Catholics, young Catholics, old Catholics, middle-aged Catholics, open your damn Bible, son. Open your Bible, read some scripture. Come on, dog. I'm about to do my, uh, my little advertisement video. I was very blessed. Word on Fire just sent me... I think they sent me both copies, the one of the Gospels they have, and then they did the one with Acts, Letters, and Revelation. Dude, super pumped. They sent Emily the Acts, Letters, and Revelation one, too. And it's beautiful. It's a deep study Bible. I also love the Ascension um, Adventure, the Great Adventure Bible. Love it. That's the one I've been using for like the last two years. They didn't send it to me, though. That's why Word on Fire got the first ad. They sent me one for free. So Ascension, hook your boy up. I'll put you in the ads. It's like, ain't nobody from Essential listening to this. But anyways, read your Bibles, kids. That's the moral of the story. Can we at least get to the average of the, the average American on our Bible consumption? That would be stellar. Stop this. Stop the Catholics have this terrible, like, the worst stat that Catholics hear is that we read this, the Bible in, in its entirety once every three years by just going to Mass. Because half of you aren't paying attention anyways. And you're not absorbing any of it. That's not Bible study. Like, I love it. 
It's great. I'm not saying that we shouldn't read scripture at mass. We obviously should. The church tells us to, and the church in her wisdom has done that for 2000 years. But come on, man, unless you're praying with it on your own, another great way to pray with scripture, the daily uh, gospel Lexio Divina through Hallow. I love listening to Jeff Cavins, daily gospel reflections. He kind of goes deeper into it. Jonathan Rumi reads the gospel and then home slice. Uh, Jeff Cavins goes deep into it. It's bomb, dude. Listen to that. Learn you something. Invest in this stuff, man. I always talk about your need to invest financially, but you also got to invest in yourself. And that doesn't just mean bullshit, like treat yourself, right? Don't be just Donna out here. What's the other dude's name? What's uh, Aziz Ansari's name in uh, Parks and Rec? Tom Haverford. Y'all just trying to Tom Haverford up out here and get Gucci sweaters. Just out here buying Gucci sweaters and, and treating yourself. Doing all this silly ass stuff. You need to be investing in, in some good scripture. Invest in that Word on Fire Bible. It's actually not that expensive. Neither is a great adventure. And they're nice, high-quality Bibles where you actually learn something. Sorry if that was mean. I didn't mean to, I didn't mean to hurt your feelings. I can, I can feel out there somebody's feelings are hurt right now. And I just want you to know that wasn't my intention. I'm not that apologetic about it, but it was not what I had hoped for you today. So 60% of Catholic... Oh, this one's terrible. I think I've heard Matthew Kelly quote this before. In his book, The Biggest Lie in the History of Christianity. Um, honestly, it's a mediocre book. I'm not recommending that book. He has some great ones. That is not one of them. Um, I really love Perfectly Yourself. I enjoyed The Rhythm of Life. Uh, and Four Signs of a Dynamic Catholic was, at the time I read it in college, a game changer for me. But I think The Biggest Lie was, at best, mediocre. Rediscover Jesus is pretty powerful, too, especially during Lent. Just peeping my uh, bookshelf right now. I got a whole shelf of dynamic Catholic books over there. But, dude, all right, so this next one, is this is tragic. So in The Biggest Lie, the biggest, I don't want to spoil it. I don't want to spoil it. If you want to buy the book, buy the book. But he really references this stat. It's kind of the core of the message. 60, only 60% of Catholics believe they can have a personal relationship with God. Let me run that back by you one more time. Only 60% of Catholic human beings believe that they can have a personal relationship with God. This is why Protestants dog us and say that we're all rigid. We're all about rules and it's not about religion. It's about Jesus. Oh my gosh. It'll make me throw up. 60% 60% of Catholics believe they have a personal relationship with God. They can have. So think about that. That's three out of five. That means two out of five people you know that are Catholic don't actually believe they can have a personal relationship with God. Truly, that's the value of prayer. And that's why you have to teach people how to pray. And that's why we need to start. Like That's why I love Hallow. And if you'd like to sign up for Hallow and start your free trial, you can do so today at the link in our uh, show notes or in our bio on Instagram or in the the description here on YouTube. However you're watching or listening to this, we're happy to have you. Check out Hallow, man. I tell people all the time, I literally said it three times today in three different phone calls. People ask, you know, what's the, we already have formed. How does, how does Hallow help? And I say formed is great because for 60 freaking years, we stopped teaching people about the faith. And so people don't know this stuff, but rules without relationship breed rebellion. And obviously not all information is rules, but there's a lot of rules in the Catholic faith. 
you might not call them rules, maybe we call them Jesus as God's commands, church teaching, whatever, but they feel like rules, right? And the rules suck unless you understand that they're for your greater good. How do you understand they're for your greater good? Because they're from a God that loves you. How do you know God loves you? You encounter him and you encounter his love in prayer and in adoration and in praise and worship and in the mass and all these other places and in his mercy in the confessional. That's how you know. So we have to teach people how to pray. And this is why you have to be more bold and stop being so scared about praying in public. And I don't just mean praying before your meal when you're out to lunch. Yes, that's a great way to do it. But it's not the only way to do it. Sometimes it's good when you pray with people before you eat to freestyle your prayer or to ask if you can pray with people before you hang up on the phone or to pray with people at Bible study, whatever it might be. That's how I learned how to pray, really, was listening to other people do it. It's one thing I'm, I'm eternally grateful to focus for because focus really helped me with that. All right. So check this out. 60%. So tell somebody today they can have a personal relationship with God. Make that the message. That's going to be the message of this podcast because that's the one that hit me the hardest, actually. If 60%, if only 60% believe we can have a personal relationship with God, the other stats make sense in a certain sense. Okay, here's the next one. 52% of adult Catholics have left the church at some point. Now, I don't know what they define as leaving the church, but it ain't good. Next one. 70% of Catholics do not believe in the true presence of the Eucharist. Everybody's heard this stat by now. Um, Bishop Barron wrote a whole book, a little booklet on it, a letter to a suffering church. It wasn't all about that, but he he's talked about it a lot. He talks about it in there some. Uh, man, that's obviously incredibly sad, but if, if only 60% believe that's actually less startling to me than 40% of Catholics not believing that you can have a personal relationship with God. That's a lot easier to believe than believing in the true presence of the Eucharist. Um, and you can see that even in scripture, right? Like a lot of them had personal relationships with Jesus and they were seeking to have personal relationship with Jesus. But even those disciples in John six who had personal relationships with Jesus, still bounced and left after he shared the bread of life discourse about the true presence of the Eucharist. So that's obviously a problem. All right. Now um, let's see here. Next stat is 98% of American Catholics have used contraception in their lifetime. Damn. 98%. I don't even know what to say about that. That's just incredibly high. 74% of Catholics have no objectives, objections, excuse me, to couples cohabitating. Dog, listen to these mother freaking stats, man. We're getting wrecked. 90, 70% of Catholics don't believe in the true presence of the Eucharist. Let me let me put it this way. Let me let me let me give you the 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 inverse, the opposite of these stats, right? So let me give it to you this way. 30% of Catholics believe in the true presence of the Eucharist. 30%. That's one third. That's less than one third. 2% of Catholics have not used contraception in their lifetime. 26% of Catholics have objections to couples cohabitating. I.e. that is living before living together before marriage. Now here's this next one. 80% of men admit to viewing porn in the last week but 98% admit to using it in the last six months. Dude, 80% of men, think about that, guys. That means four out of every five men 
statistically that you come across this week will not have watched porn in the last month or last year in the last seven effing days. That's wild. Now this one, this one really gets me Two RCIA stats. These two RCIA stats are just brutal. Absolutely brutal. So the RCIA stats say 60% of those who graduate from RCIA, well, graduate is not the right word. 60% of those who get confirmed at the end of RCIA leave within five years. What's worse than that, this stat is, dude, this is the bad one. What's worse than that is that one Catholic joins the church, like finishes RCIA, for every six Catholic that leaves. That's the stat. One joins for every six that leaves. Think about how crazy that is. One for every six. It really is some wild stuff. It really is some wild stuff. So it's really wild. One join for every six that leave. Think about how crazy that is. I mean, we're just uh, we're just in this absolute emergency mode, and nobody seems to understand. That's an emergency mode. Like, I I work for Halo. Obviously, we're a subscription based app. I'm trying to imagine what our panic would be like from our CEO to the part-time workers, what the panic would be like if we had one subscriber coming for every six that left. That's like CEO, like, uh, like of a business. And all we'd be worried about is obviously our mission failing. Which is concerning, but at the same time, like if God wants it to succeed, as long as we're working hard doing the right things, it would. So to a certain extent, you wouldn't be that upset about that. But we also are a company that wants to like exist and continue to exist. We're driven more by the former than by the latter for sure. But even if just like take a different, like take Duolingo, right? Take a language-based app that's teaching people Spanish and French and stuff. If they had one person coming for every six to left, that's insane. Think of the Daily Wire. That was them. One subscriber joining for every six that canceled in a day. It would be unbelievable, the panic. Now, we are the Catholic Church. Our six that leave, let's see what they do. So the next stat says one in 10 American adults have left the Catholic church after being raised Catholic. Now, before I get to the rest of that stat, that means one out of every 10 people you walk by on the street, not one in 10 Catholics have left the Catholic church after being raised Catholic. One in 10 American adults. So people over the age of 18 that you walk by at Disney world, One out of 10 are falling away Catholics. 50% of those become Protestant and 50% of those become unaffiliated. So if you can think about that, one in 10 and half are becoming unaffiliated, no religious affiliation, the nuns. 
What's your religious affiliation? None. Think about that. We're not a company that's losing people, you know, at a one to six ratio for bringing into losing. We are worried about the salvation of souls. We are entrusted with preaching the gospel, right? The great commissioning, the the great charge and, and, and obligation and role that Christ gave before he before he you know ascended into heaven that's our that's what we're worried about and we got one out of six and this in a, in a strange way brings me back to the bishops because it's like what are you doing imagine being on the board of a company and the company is just failing like heck I don't know why I said like heck, but they're just failing massively. And you're out here talking like, like soup bitches about climate change while souls are being lost. You're out here talking about whatever the hell the rest of them talk about. Nothing. You're doing nothing. You're sitting by idly while people like Joe Biden destroy the Catholic perception of the sanctity of life by being incredibly pro-choice politicians who still receive communion. Destroying both, and not even, it's not even just even the pro-choice stuff. He, he stands against multiple things that are very, very anti-church church teaching. And the bishop's like, yeah, no, you can still receive communion. And that destroys all the things I talked about earlier. The Catholic teaching on a lot of these social issues, abortion, marriage, divorce, but also, it contributes greatly to 70% of Catholics not believing in the true presence of the Eucharist. You know, my question, my question kind of is like, why would you, to a certain extent, believe in the true presence of the Eucharist? If Cardinal Gregory in D.C. says anybody can receive communion no matter what you hold, what you believe, it must not be that important because if it was the true presence of Christ, then there would be some, some needs, right? Some obligations to it. We would actually uphold church teaching about being in a state of grace to receive communion, about public scandal and public sin. We'd be bold in calling that out, but we don't. How can you believe in the true presence of the Eucharist when, as soon as the government says cancel mass, all of your bishops and priests run to do it eagerly, Say, yes, yes, daddy government, we will shut down. Yes, Mr. Fauci, right away, Mr. Fauci. Let me close, let me lock, couldn't lock my doors fast enough. I was so damn excited to take some time off and relax and not provide people with the sacraments. None of that stuff helps. But the other thing that we have to remember is just, it's not just up to our priests and bishops to change this. Yes, these are some terrible stats. Yes, it's going to be extremely difficult to overcome a lot of this, but it's not just up to our priests and bishops to do this. And I think we need to take that Jordan Peterson, I think it's the in the first 12 rules for life where he says to clean up your own life or clean up your room before criticizing the world. Basically get your shit together before you start poking at somebody else 
a gospel principle. You know, Jesus tells us, why do you see the, the speck in your brother's eye and ignore the plank in your own eye? Um, we have to, we have to keep that in mind and we have to see the plank in our own eye and you and I, we need to strive to be radical saints in today's world. And really that's what I want this to be. That's what I want seeking excellence to be all about is I want this to be your encouragement and where you come to be equipped and to be formed and being a, a radical saint. And that's why I have to have guests because I can't do that by myself. Can't teach you how to do that. I'm not a radical saint yet, but we're kind of on this journey together, which is one of the things I think is really cool about it. You know, when I was at Dynamic Catholic, one of my friends there, his name was Jack, uh, Jack Beers. He was my boss. Um, one of my bosses, we kind of had a two boss, kind of had, had a two, a two, uh, yeah, I don't know where I was going with that, but uh, a two headed, uh, I don't know. We had two bosses. And he talked to me. He helped me a lot to kind of figure out who I wanted to be as a speaker and a writer. And he talked about this need to kind of have your voice and define what your voice was going to be. And I remember praying about that and thinking about that a lot. So I was like, what do I want my voice to be? Those of you guys, you out there listening to me right now. This is Shout out to Jack Beers for helping me to find my voice. Really to clarify my voice. And he talked about, you know, some people are trying to be like friends. When they're talking to you, um, some people are trying to be coaches. Some people will take a more like parental kind of route, right? You have a lot of like chassis speakers who are pretty old that have kids the age of the kids they're talking to. Um, and mine, I always felt like I was trying to be this older brother. Because the older brother's a little bit further down the road and they kind of got their shit a little bit more figured out than you. But at the same time, you're still kind of growing up together. You might relate to them. You've been through a lot of the same stuff. You're tackling a lot of the same problems. You can kind of look at them to see, like, how did he kind of overcome this? How did he kind of deal with this? But at the same time, too, an older brother really getting your ass if needed. And everybody needs uh, a good kick in the pants every now and then, as old folks used to say. Everybody needs a good kick in their ass every now and then, myself included, myself especially. And so that's what I'm here for. Hope you guys know that I'm here to kick your ass metaphorically most of the time. Um, but guys, this is it, man. This is a reality. And like I said, you know, I think I said this in the other episodes where it's like, yeah, this stuff's kind of depressing, right? Like, there's no doubt about it. It's pretty sad. Living in some pretty sad times. But if I could offer you a message of hope, it would be that it's going to get better. And it's not going to get better. I don't take this kind of like QAnon fake that, you know, Trump's going to save us and he's going to return to the presidency before 2024 and prove the election was stolen. Like, that's a bunch of silly crap. That's not what I mean. Part of me means that like we might like legit have the blessing and honor to become like legit martyrs, which brings about a more passionate and on fire church than anything else. But that kind of sucks, right? Like, like to be killed, to be killed is like not that dope. That's for sure. I've, it's never happened to me. Um, I've read the accounts of many who have been murdered or killed, saints and non, uh, non-saints. 
And it, it doesn't seem, it doesn't appear to me to be a pleasant experience, but the fruits are pretty, the, fr- the fruits are pretty tight. And heaven is, I mean, if you die a martyr, you're like, you're almost a lock. Like, I think they do the least amount of investigating when they like canonize martyrs into their lives. Cause it's almost like, bro, you died, you died for this. You might've slapped your mama, but you died a martyr. Man, you fat, you in that fast, you got that fast track. You get the HOV lane to heaven. You know what I mean? I don't know that there's theology behind that, but that's my understanding of it. So I wouldn't, I wouldn't, I wouldn't like quote that in your, in your theology class papers. I wouldn't put me down on that, but I think that's true. So you, you can, you can fact check that one. Somebody hit a Politico. They probably say I'm wrong. But my point is, even if it gets worse, it gets better. Because we're not just living for us. We're living for God. We're living for each other. We're living for others. And so when you can die a martyr, you can be that bold in your faith, when you can be persecuted and stand up against it. Man, the virtue, the courage, the love, the mercy, the grace that comes with that, it's fire. And so we have some great work to do. There's a lot of work to be done. Always brings you back to beautiful Matthew chapter 9. One of my favorite uh, scripture passages where it says after Jesus went about healing and healing all the sicknesses and infirmities and injuries and, and doing all kinds of miracles that he looked out on the crowd and he had compassion for them for they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. So he turned to his disciples and said, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Pray then to the Lord of the harvest that he will send out laborers into the harvest. He's talking about you, dog. He's talking about you. He's talking about me. So it's time to get your stuff together. Read some scripture. Take your goofy ass back to confession. Get your lazy ass up for mass more than once a week. Study the faith. Learn the faith. Pray every day. Start to pray your rosary. Take ownership and stewardship of all these other areas of your life, your relationships, of your finances, of your job, and really strive to be your best. Because you got you to gotta ditch this bystander effect that somebody else is going to rebuild the church. It's got to be you. It's got to be me. And I'm here for you. I stay in this game. I stay encouraging. I stay showing up week after week because I want you to know that I'm here for you and you're not alone. We're out here trying to do this together. And so I'm grateful as always for you listening to today. I hope you'll pray for me and you know of my prayers for you. And I just want to encourage you as always to fight hard and to be your best. God bless.